Questions on Thruway History. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. The New York State Thruway consists of hundreds of miles of superhighway in the state of New York. Like the Erie Canal, the Thruway, at least at first, was a New York State creation, paid for with bonds administered by a public benefit corporation called the Thruway Authority whose offices stand visible near Albany Thruway Exit number 23. The idea of building such a road originated in the 1940s. It was accomplished the next decade. One section was finished in 1954. The rest of the road was completed a few years later. Historian and SUNY professor Bruce Deerstein wrote a book some years ago called Spirit of New York, Defining Events in New York State History. In an interview in 2015, I spoke with Professor Deerstein about the throughway. The one that I'd like to start with, you know, maybe seems like an odd choice, the throughway opening in the middle of the 1950s. And it's something I, I sort of remember from my childhood, actually. And I grew up in Amsterdam. You know, I live in the Schenectady area now. And the throughway's always been kind of part of my my life. But you you see it as an important historical development. Well, I too remember uh, the the opening of the throughway, or the, the various openings of the various segments of the throughway in the 1950s. Oddly enough, so far as I know, there is no history of the New York State Thruway. Uh, it's never been analyzed uh, historically. And yet it is one of the greatest public construction events in the 20th century in in any state as far as length and magnitude and cost and so on. And as far as technological challenges, such as the uh, Tappensee Bridge, now much in the news because we're thinking of replacing it, uh, but in those days, uh, something of a technological marvel for uh, bridging the Hudson at it uh, at its broadest uh, point. The, the idea behind it was to give New York the commercial edge, or one of the commercial edges that it had always had throughout history in transportation, mm-hmm. going back to the uh, the Erie Canal, uh, but also to the railroads, which also aren't written up very much in history. And one of the interesting things I found is that Governor Dewey, who was the uh, main moving force behind this, often thought of as being a very conservative, uh, fiscally uh, conservative Republican, was very determined uh, to get this built. First thought he could do it with state resources, then decided he had to float bonds. And he often, in his speeches, would say, look, this is the new Erie Canal. This will do for New York State. In the latter 20th century, what the Erie Canal did for New York State in the uh, early and mid-19th century. I think that might have been exaggerated a little bit. And yet this, the throughway has been immensely and continues to be immensely important here in New York. Mm-hmm. And and as you say, it uh, was a pioneer, was it not? I mean, the uh, superhighways, interstates are very common uh, these days, but the throughway, it came before the big federal push to put in interstates, did it? Uh, it, it, it did. That's, that's an excellent point. There were some other... Uh, state, uh, important state interstates, including the uh, Pennsylvania Turnpike. Uh, but New York was, uh, I think, the longest when it was done, uh, the most costly, and it went across the entire state and then down the Hudson so that it it links uh, the, the entire state. And it preceded the, the big federal push, which is in the uh, years from 1956 onward uh, by uh, a number of years, and in some ways was a model for that. 
And in fact, uh, Bertram Tallamy, who was the first chairman of the uh, State Thruway Authority, and prior to that was uh, uh, head of the State uh, Department of Public Works, uh, Bert Tallamy was tapped by President Eisenhower to be the first head of the federal uh, interstate highway system in the late 1950s. So once again, New York is, is sort of a pioneer, not for the first or the last time, a New Yorker who did well in New York. Uh, goes on to Washington to do immensely important things in Washington. Not that there weren't difficulties. I I, I know that I write local history up in uh, Montgomery and Fulton counties primarily, and Fultonville, this little village in in the valley, they they split it right in half with the thruway. (laughs) Nothing was ever the same since. And I know, for example, in my hometown of Amsterdam, it moved the sort of the center of economics uh, to the south side of the river. And now if you get up by the Amsterdam thruway exit, that's where the big businesses are. The Beechnut plant, the Target the warehouse, the big Alpenhouse uh, RV uh, center and so forth. That's another excellent point. Yeah, Fultonville is, is uh, notable for even today when you drive through it because it's on both sides of the uh, thruway. And the thruway is not uh, an unmixed story. It did help boost New York's economy. It brought a lot of business into New York. A lot of things grew up along the, the thruway, and many of them still there. But it also bypassed some of the big cities, uh, bypassed uh, some of the, the industrial centers, and uh, th- thereby put them at a, uh, a commercial and demographic disadvantage, uh, which they still have today. In other cases, it particularly when you get down toward New York City, it really disrupted some of the communities. And if you uh, look at that that chapter, there's a lot of resistance to it in Rockland County and across the river in Westchester County because it took quite a bit of old buildings, uh, historical buildings, people's homes, and so on, as such things do. Rather controversial, some protests, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of writing of letters to Albany, trying to get the route shifted one one way or another. Uh, there's even one instance of a, a woman in Yonkers refusing to get out of her house until the uh, bulldozers were literally at the back door, and then settling with the state and uh, and leaving. Anything like this, uh, a, a big highway, uh, urban renewal, anything of this sort, is by definition, I guess, disruptive. Mm-hmm. And as We've come to take different, a different historical view of this, rather than seeing this as, well, this was immensely uh, unadulterated progress, we now see it as more of a nuanced and, and subtle thing, mostly progress, probably in, in a historical retrospect, mostly good for the state, but not in every case. Mm-hmm. And there's still some uh, ramifications that we're living with today, particularly as far as our cities are concerned. Got this, the traffic off the streets of the cities got the traffic out of the cities, uh, but and helped lead to the buildup of suburbs and, and some new industry and so on. But that also took some of the commerce and some of the people out of the cities. Mm-hmm. And some of our cities, particularly if you go west of where I am, which is Gilderland, and west of where, where you are, basically out toward Buffalo, it's, it's no secret that that part of the state is still having some economic problems. But are you can trace that to the thruway or not, I don't know, but the thruway certainly is a factor. That's Professor Bruce Deerstein, recorded back in 2015, a little big brush perspective on the history of the New York State Thruway. Joining us now is Bob Burns, who travels a certain stretch 
of the thruway quite often. What, what is the trip you often make, and, and why do you make it? Well, I'm originally from Albany, lived my first 40 years in Albany, and then took a job in Rochester, 220 miles to the west, in 1991. So for the past 30 years, both for uh, family visits and for uh, work um, meetings, uh, I I believe I've traveled the Rochester-Albany round trip about 1,000 times. So that's uh, uh, that, that's the section of the thruway uh, that I'm most uh, most familiar with. The uh, toll people could probably confirm that through Easy Pass or something, but uh, <laughs> many, many, many trips back and forth. Well, in fact, as a frequent thruway user, let me ask you this. It just popped into my head. It looks like the toll takers in terms of individuals are going away they, they've now they're now using electronic tolling i've been watching that i've been uh, on the throughway even in retirement now uh during this year of covid and it seems pretty seamless i feel awful for the people who since 1954 have relied on uh the toll booth operations for their their living and i hope many of them were found jobs within the authority but Yes, uh, I believe all the tolls are gone, uh, not only on the stretch that I'm aware of, but I think uh, the entire the entire uh, section. And over the years, I've gotten to know some throughway toll takers. It seemed to be sort of a summer job for some people, some young people, as as I recall. And the one thing I remember—I don't mean to be so digressive here—but one thing I remember is in the years I worked for the state, uh, the state of New York, my boss was a former priest, and he was a very um, upstanding man, very moral person. And when they first came out with Easy Pass, and I don't know, maybe as far as I know, he wouldn't use it. You know, he, he, he kept going to the toll takers for fear that eventually Easy Pass would take their jobs, and I guess he was right. It, it has. So, yeah, and that, uh, that questions my my empathy for those toll takers because the the minute easy pass was introduced i was one of the first to buy it to get it so i haven't actually interacted with a toll taker since uh, i don't know the, the late 90s early 2000s right and since the uh, covid and i'm pretty much quarantined or more often quarantined my my easy pass usage is way way down they're not making much money on me Yes, mine, mine as well. Both uh, I retired uh, one year ago, and so my work-related meetings in Albany have subsided, and um, and we don't have as many family meetings uh, anymore. So my Easy Pass use has um, gone down quite a bit as well. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, Bob Burns' throughway questions. Uh, he has found the podcast and has been. Uh, good to get to know him and so forth. We've had some email correspondence about the about the podcast. And one thing we're frequently saying is we'd like people to send us uh, questions that maybe we can try to answer. Well, he sent a bunch of questions about the throughway. Uh, only one of them will I attempt to answer, and not from my own knowledge, but from um, Bruce Deerstein's knowledge. A whole whole series of uh, of questions about how the throughway came to be. The first one, even, how interchange decisions were made. You, you want to, you'd like to know how they decided to put a throughway interchange in Amsterdam as opposed to somewhere else, let's say, right? Sure, and during all those visits, I, or all those uh, trips on the throughway, I, 
um, I, I probably should have been listening to your podcast, but often I was just uh, observing the roads and uh, thinking about the interchanges and thinking about the road uh, planning itself and wondered if the interchanges were decisions were made based on a population center to keep them as close to large population centers, or was it major north-south intersections that uh, were the determining factor? And then the cynical part of me tells me that it, it might have been uh, donors to Governor Dewey's uh, re-election campaign uh, that might have indicated where a certain uh, exit might be uh, adjacent, perhaps, to their home. Uh, there's an old Rochester story. Uh, the throughway uh, is actually quite a bit south of uh, Rochester, and there's stories uh, for years in Rochester that uh, Governor Dewey was having some kind of a disagreement uh, with Rochester politicians at the time, and that's why uh, the exit is so much further south. So yeah, I just, yeah. Uh, again, during those uh, long trips, uh, wondered about that, and at, at some point, I, I looked to see if there was a book uh, or some documentation about the planning in the late 40s, early 50s. And there really is not. Um, and if uh, this podcast finds that there is such a book, uh, I'll, I'll be extremely happy. But, uh, yeah, I wondered about uh, how those intersections were yep. decided. Interchanges were decided. And, in fact, your question about uh, Governor Dewey perhaps having some reason that was political to move that the Rochester uh, exits so far south of Rochester. He was intrigued with that question, but again, he didn't know the answer to that and said he had never never heard that. But it's noticeable, and I used to make the trip all the way out to Buffalo quite frequently when my son uh, went to uh, college at the University of Buffalo, and it, it is kind of, it's sort of odd. I, I think I've only gotten off in Rochester a handful of times, but it's like... It doesn't go anywhere near Rochester, does it? No, you have to tra travel quite a bit further north uh, to get to the city. And, and you know, th that might not be a true story. I, I also read or maybe saw a photograph uh, of Governor Dewey when, when that section of the thruway was open, uh, actually in a, in a hotel or in a somewhere in Rochester, kind of cutting the ribbon, uh, so to speak, when they opened the, the uh, inter interchange. So uh, it might not be true, it, uh, but it is odd that unlike Utica and certainly Albany and uh, Syracuse and Buffalo, uh, the, it is not situated close to a major metropolitan area. Another one of your questions, and this is the one that Professor Deerstein took a, took a shot at, how closely the throughway was designed to follow the canal path. Professor Deerstein liked that question. It's the only one he felt knowledgeable enough to answer. He wrote me, quote, I've never done research on this question, but would assume, without having actual evidence, that the answer is yes. The canal, Mohawk River, is the natural path through the mountains, so it would be natural if the throughway followed it. So did the railroads before it, more or less, now mostly a footpath, at least on the south side of the Mohawk River, for walkers and bikers. Uh, he goes on to say, there's an irony here. When Governor Dewey was pushing the throughway, he called it the New Erie Canal. After it was built, it speeded the demise of the Erie's successor, the Barge Canal, whose name is even confusing because it was later renamed the Erie, or at least part of the Erie Canal system. 
Later, the Thruway Authority took over operation of the canal before transferring it to the Power Authority, where it is now. There is a good story there, but someone with a lot more knowledge than me would be needed to tell it. Uh, that was uh, from uh, Professor Bruce uh, Deerstein. Yeah, very interesting. And, and it does seem to follow the path of the canal until it gets to a, a section just beyond Utica. And then it does not follow the Erie Canal, which goes quite a bit north uh, all the way to, to Buffalo. It, uh, the throughway goes uh, quite quite a bit south of the Erie Canal and doesn't seem to have any uh, any any reason to, to mm-hmm. follow the path. But uh, that's very interesting. I wish, I know there are a lot of books and writings about the canal. I wish there were similar writings about, about the throughway. Maybe it will take another 50 years for, for that. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me that, that, say, beyond Utica, it, maybe it doesn't follow the canal. But see, between uh, at least Schenectady and Utica, that's when you're traveling through the Mohawk Valley, which is this natural break in the mountains. The canal used it, the throughway used it, but once you're past Utica, that's it's you're no longer in this mountain range area, kind of. So I suppose it it mattered less. That's my guess. Again, I haven't done any research. I'm just sort of spouting off. No, you're off probably about right. That. And there's the large lake, oh boy, uh, Oneida Lake, I believe, that they they had to decide whether to go north of or south of, and right. that might have been a determining factor as well. One thing I, that I thought was interesting. One of your questions has to do with the Little Falls area, which is before. Uh, its own interchange, and there's those two interchanges are kind of close together, Little Falls, then Herkimer. Um, and in Little Falls, you say, and I, I must say, I, somehow I never really noticed this. You said, why does the throughway cut through mountains near Little Falls rather than working a bit north or south to reduce cost and environmental impact? Now that I, I read that, I mean, I, I think you're right, uh, and you obviously must have noticed this on your frequent trips through the area, I, I did, and I, I I don't think Little Falls is a huge metropolitan uh, area. I don't think the population is is large, and as you noted, uh, just down the road in Herkimer, there there's an uh, an interchange, and it, there didn't seem to be a major north or south um, route that that needed to be connected, um, and and I was just curious about all of the, the digging and the blasting that must have occurred, not just to, uh, to route the throughway through that area, but, but, all, but the exits uh, that have to bring you into the Little Falls area or perhaps south. And I just wondered if uh, conservation groups at the time were livid with the state for damaging that mountainous region or if uh, everybody just accepted it. Or again, the cynical part of me says that there was a friend in Little Falls who wanted... Uh, the ease of, of getting off the throughway near his or her home. So uh, just curious, I don't have any information uh, why. Um, since I've retired, I've tried to drive Route 5 and 5S and 20 to get to know our uh, communities a little bit better and uh, got me thinking even a little bit more about why the Little Falls exit was, was constructed. Another one of uh, Bob Burns' questions, Bob Burns, who frequently travels the New York State Thruway, has some questions about the Thruway. If you have any answers, uh, send an email, bobcudmore at yahoo.com, and we'll address it on a future program. 
you wonder how many homeowners and farms were subject to eminent domain and was there considerable opposition. Again, I don't know anything about it except to say, yes, the answer is yes. They were subjected to eminent domain and there probably was opposition, but it, it went forward. Yes, yeah, somewhere in the archives, I suppose, there is a, uh, a listing of how many people lost their homes and their farms uh, to, to the, uh, the throughway. I think um, Mr. Deerstein talked about some opposition south of Albany, uh, down closer to New York City. Um, but, yeah, I've often wondered how, uh, how much of a loss that occurred. Obviously, the throughway was a great idea, and it, it improved uh, transportation through uh, New York State, I think it was a jewel at the time. I just wondered about that, um, uh, the people who lost as opposed to gained by by the construction. Mm. I see uh, uh, quite a few uh, places along those other routes that I now take, 5, 5S, and 20, uh, and I certainly see that uh, uh, there, there were a lot, of, a lot of motels and restaurants and places uh, like that that probably had to close because of the loss of, uh, of people on the of travelers on those areas but I wondered about um, how many people really lost everything the, also the uh, the people who lost their usual north south uh, route either for business or for pleasure uh, who suddenly had to travel 20 miles to the east or the west to get north and south because their roads were um, were in fact terminated uh, just dissected by the throughway. So yeah, again, I have no answers, um, uh, but I'd love to see some numbers and some idea of, um, of, mm. of the economic loss to people. And I'm glad you brought up about the north-south routes. I've neglected to put that in your questions. One of them is, how was it decided whether to build under or over an existing intersecting road? And since the throughway area we're talking about, the road basically goes east and west, this would be north and south. So go over or under or simply terminate the thoroughfare. I didn't know they terminated that many, or I really had never given that much thought. Yeah, and in retirement, maybe I'll identify where they are, but you can see as you travel the thruway, you can see where where roads simply stopped, um, and, and, and you can still see some homes just to the left and to the right of you uh, that just kind of um, stopped um, in 1954. So just a, just a question and a, and a little bit of wonderment about um, how, how that occurred and who made those decisions and how difficult those decisions might have been made. Another one of your questions that you've begun to address already is which villages, towns along Route 5, 5S, and 20 were negatively impacted by the loss of vehicle traffic? I would say the one of the big losers in, in this was the, I don't know what you'd call it, the culture that had developed along Route 20. I mean, before there was the throughway, uh, I mean, Route 5 always was there too, which ran through the cities, let's say, of the Mohawk Valley and um, like Syracuse and Utica and so forth, uh, and back, you know, back to the Capital District. Route 20 was, I think, the desired way to travel statewide before there was a throughway. It had, it had sort of the aspects of a parkway if you've gone on Route 20. It certainly does in our area. One of the reasons we get on that road, so Andre and I, is to go to 
Cooperstown. I mean, it's one of the ways you can get to Cooperstown. Have you noticed that? I mean, it's it's like a, it, it almost looks like some of those New England parkways, like the Major Deegan Expressway or something. Or the Taconic, yeah. Uh, absolutely, it's a beautiful ride. And my dad had family in Chicago and used to talk about the drive from Albany to Chicago, and it was out Route 20. Um, and as you drive it now, you can still see some of the old motels uh, with the tiny little uh, independent cottages along the left and right side. Um, most of them are just closed and abandoned. Some seem to be turned into uh, housing of some sort. But, um, yeah, I wonder, there are still some beautiful villages as you drive from Albany um, west on um, Route 20. Uh, but, but I often wondered about um, how vibrant they were before the throughway and how vibrant they might have been uh, if not for the throughway. But I think you're absolutely right. Route 20 was, was the east-west corridor um, before the 1950s. Route 5 uh, used to you know, ha- have more of a role in getting east and, and west, and, but, and again, was the business route into the cities, like my own Amsterdam where I, I grew up and Fonda and all the way up the, the valley, and it with the throughway, Route Five's role is is different. You know, it's you know you you want to get to the throughway. Another place where this is an an issue is um, in Montgomery County, up in Fultonville. I talked about that with Professor Deerstein that they um, built the throughway right through the middle of the town or the village, and uh, even to this day, if uh, truck traffic needs to get to Johnstown and Gloversville, which is a bit north, which which they do, it's sort of, um, it's dicey there. I mean, it's hard to get all that, sometimes get all that truck traffic uh, through the, the little villages of uh, Fultonville and Fonda. When COVID is over, my hope is to visit some libraries and look at some old microfilm or microfiche and, and just see what the mayors and the mayor of uh, Fultonville was saying at that time about the impact on his or her city, uh, or their town or village, and and the other towns that were impacted. There had to have been stories in the press or letters to the editor or uh, uh, some kind of opposition or concern. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't think about the Fultonville uh, impact and had to look at a map quickly when I read uh, or listened to the podcast with Mr. Deerstein and absolutely it's um, that had to be controversial in the day that that's a personal note for me my uh, late uh, sister who's you know somewhat older than I uh, Arlene Cudmore she went to SUNY Potsdam she did some sort of college paper on the effect of the throughway on Fultonville because it struck her I think for some reason she would be going through Fultonville on her way back to college or something like that so maybe you'll find that out there. I don't know if that's just part yeah, of the public the record or not. Yeah. Uh, if you find those papers, I'll pay big money for that uh, that report. <laughs> okay. Well, Bob Burns, I thank you very much uh, for providing all kinds of questions about the New York State Thruway. If you have answers out there in podcast land, uh, send us an email, bobcudmore at yahoo.com. That's bobcudmore at yahoo.com. Com. Thank you, Bob Burns, and uh, keep listening to the podcast. Thank you, Bob, and I hope I'm not the only person interested in this topic, and I appreciate your interest. 
You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. The Historian's Podcast continues on the internet thanks to your contributions. How do you contribute, you might ask? Well, let me say this. There are two ways to contribute. You can uh, go online. In fact, if you're listening on our webpage, which is bobcudmore.com, if not, go to bobcudmore.com and you'll find a link to our GoFundMe campaign. And if you're familiar with GoFundMe, and many people are, uh, it's uh, very easy to make a donation uh, using your credit card or PayPal or something of that nature. So that's one way to give to the Historian's Podcast yearly fund drive. The other way is to send a check in the mail. Yes, uh, GoFundMe does collect a certain uh, percentage of uh, what they collect for all their various uh, people, like me, Uh, so... I find that a number of my uh, local contributors like to send me the check in the mail. Make out a check to Bob Cudmore. Send it to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much.